Welcome to the Psychology World Podcast. I'm Matt Connor Whiteley, bringing you psychology news and easy to understand and engaging psychology facts. For more information and the backlist episode show notes and more information on psychology topics, please go to connorwhiteley.net and I hope you enjoy the show. episode 14 the psychology world podcast with me Connor Whiteley today's episode will be on bystanderism and bystanderism I do quite like as a topic because I think it's a quite shocking but before we go into the actual topic we're going to do the psychology news section so as I said last week we would be going through the psychologist which is the British Psychological Society's magazine and the February edition and I was quite interested in it because because I finally understood what three letters meant. Because if you look at the adverts, they always say CPD, which I now know stands for Continued Professional Development. Because as a psychologist, you're required to, to continually develop your profession. That made no sense. Well, basically, you're like you're Basically, you're meant to show that you are constantly learning and keeping up to date with your field. Because that's what my um, clinical psychology lecturer was talking about in one of her lectures that we finally tweaked. So, moving on to the actual psychology news instead of my random... There's one article that really drew my eye. And it's, a, and it's the idea that psychologists should be allowed to prescribe drugs. And there's a... There was a white paper in consultation period. I don't know when because I can't remember it. But it must have been a few months ago. And the idea of itself is very interesting because it means psychologists would be able to prescribe drugs. I'll do my opinion in a minute, but there was a lot of range of... There was a lot of um, different responses because some people really wanted this. Other people really, really didn't. And I think it was just quite interesting. So... And thankfully, when I saw the article, I thought, right, before I read on, I will, I will look at my own opinion, and then I will read it to become more informed. Turns out, I didn't need to be more informed, because my opinion was pretty much a word for word, what some, what most of the respond, well, some of the respondents were. And it's the idea that, if you read my books, especially my health psychology book, you will know that I'm a massive advocate for the biopsychosocial model. And this is the holistic model that looks at different factors that can cause a dis- that can cause a disorder and treatment. But on the other hand, or on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the reductionist. This is when you try and narrow a, a mental disorder down to one cause. You've got the biomedical model. And Myself and quite a few other people have said that, well, if psychologists can prescribe drugs, then this will push psychology a lot more towards the the biomedical model, which is what we're working so hard to come away from, because psychiatrists use the biomedical model, and that's not the whole picture, picture because there are a lot of other factors that can actually have a lot, can have a higher impact on mental disorders than our biology. So, it's very interesting, and personally, 
I don't want psychologists to be able to prescribe drugs. But we see what happens, and you've got to remember I am one person who is a psychology student. I like to think of myself as well-informed and open-minded and balanced. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the next bit. Oh, yes, yeah, so the main... Yeah, because I'm looking at my notes. So the main reason why I really wanted to read this issue of this psychologist, even though it took me three weeks to read it, I'm a very busy author. I know in the first update section why. <laughs> Is that there was this article with this interview with somebody who has written a book good old authors, um, about the psychology of uh, drone fighter pilots, which was quite interesting. And the main things to take away from the article was it was something like three, four pages, so I never expect any of you to read it. In fact, um, I might have skim-read some of it, because, because it's a really long article, okay? Don't judge me. For quite a long time, it's been really it's been really quite logical to assume that fighter pilots were completely removed and unsympathetic towards their target because they were miles away. Hell, they could be in another country. So that was one idea that was held in place for a long time. However, it turns out it's not true because fighter pilots go through this thing called a distance paradox, which means in terms of physical space, they are kilometres away, miles away even. But emotionally, because they know they're taking another life, emotionally, they're really close to their target. So that was a very interesting idea, I thought, because it doesn't seem logical at first to to think that, because you're miles away, you're never going to see them. But then in later in the article, it was describing some people's responses, and it said that they saw the mangles of bodies of... Well, of victims, so they know the impact of their actions, which was interesting, and they had a very real sense of what they'd done. And then another thing in the article, and the last one to really take away, is there was no single response to the ethics of air drone strikes and how people felt, felt because they all had their own different opinion which just highlights the importance of acknowledging individual differences in psychological research, because we're all human and we're all different. But the interesting thing was nobody had a, re- nobody had a regret for their actions, because they all felt emotionally attached to their target, but they didn't regret it. And one of the research, and sorry, one of the reasons what that the research suggested for this was because drone fighter pilots have a lot of rules about about how they can act, and also how they can abort missions, meaning if there's an innocent civilian that walks into the strike zone, then they can abort the strike, even if the missile is in mid-air. This I thought was very interesting, and it's a good read, so if you ever join the British Psychological Society, I would definitely check it out, and most of their magazines are really informative. So now that that's done, we'll move on to the personal update section. So moving on to the personal update section, as always I'm in the last finishing stretches of my psychology release because all the books are now available on pre-order, all four of them. So if you want to know more about forensic psychology, social cultural psychology, 
this and the psychology of human relationships, then please go to ConnorWhiteley.net for more information because because this week I'm going to be releasing the paperbacks and the pre-orders on the seventh, the pre and the pre-order ebooks on the seventeenth. I will, and I'm going to release the paperbacks beforehand simply because I can order them, get them delivered to my home, not my university, just so I can have my pictures taken with the books, just so I can use them in marketing on release day in June, release week. But I'm really looking forward to it because I'm so proud of these books. But something else that I've actually been diving into this week is writing a brand new psychology perma free. Because if you if you ever checked out my books, you would notice that until this week, the biological psychology book has has been free, free to download, buy I guess you could call it, but you're not spending money. Yeah, so like free to download, load just so you can and just so you can try out my writing and and everything. And the problem with this is that it's very singular. For example, if somebody was interested in biological psychology, they would buy this book. And because it was free, I doubted, and I think my statistics show that, I think very few people went on to read other books. So that was a problem, because the idea of permafreeze in, right in book marketing is that these is that these books help people, well, make people attracted to other books. Not other books, and I know it sounds salesy, but there's this great little passage that I write in at the book at the end, basically saying that I truly hope that you've enjoyed this book, and even if you don't go on to read my other books, I hope that you've learned something, and I wish you all the best in your psychological discovery journey or something like that, because I honestly care about my readers, and even all of you podcast listeners, I really care about you, because you're committing some of your time to me each week and that means a lot a lot so yes so going back to the permafree i now have a book called what is psychology available on amazon kobo and all the other stores well ebook stores at least for free amazon if you check out the day you're listening it might still be 99p but if you check again check again mid next week and it should and it should be free. At least I'm hoping so even even though I might have to just knock on Amazon's door harder. <laughs> anyway then, yes and this psychology book goes through it, it it really does it is it is a great introduction to psychology because it tells you what it is what are the approaches to behaviour and then also then it also introduces you to each subfield of psychology. I write in and include a sample chapter, so I quite like it, and hopefully my readers will as as well. Yeah, so that's a free book that you can get. Um, or oh, the last thing I will mention, no, pardon me, sorry, two things. Is after writing four psychology books, I just decided that I need a palate cleanser. I've decided to write my. I've started to write Gavo Book Six, Destroyer of Worlds, and I'm, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it. I love my fiction, I love my Gavo universe. It's just, it's so nice to get back to it after a month and a bit off. So, yes, so it's a great palate cleanser. 
that should be available in August. August, I'm hoping to. My plan is is to release six books again as book four to nine. Hopefully, in simultaneous release. That means large print, paperback, ebook, and audiobook should all be available at the same time. Of course, we will see how it goes. And then finally, I'm deciding to write a human branding book because, in short, because I know, because I know, I'd be surprised if some of you were writers. But the great thing about the time that we live in is that AI is on the rise, and AIs are becoming better and better each passing day, pretty much, meaning that soon they'll be able to produce their own books, meaning that the true way to market to make yourself stand out in the crowd is to become more human because of humans are joint of humans hopefully you're drawn to my podcast because you know i am i am a human because an ai would not be making as many mistakes as i am yes i'm chipping away at this human branding book and yeah hopefully each well i'm hoping it's going to be really good but something i like about writing this book is that it's given me ideas how to make my own brand more human because my psychology brand is pretty human because mainly because of this podcast because you get to hear my you get to hear my real voice and you just get to know me so hopefully this should be a well, yeah well it will be a good book I won't put it out there to, if it's a bad book hopefully hopefully I'll release that by early March before London Book Fair which I can happily say I am going to. But more on that in the coming weeks. So, so let's move on to the content of the episode. I hope you enjoyed the personal update, so let's move on. So, moving on to today's episode, we're going to be talking about bystanderism. Before I go into it, this will be our last episode on the psychology of human relationships. Bystanderism, what the hell is it? So, bystanderism, also known as the bystander effect, can simply be described as when you're not willing to help, or there's less likely be that you are less likely of being helped when there's more people about. That's the simplest way to put it. But it, and this is quite well known. For example, let's say that you see a homeless person in the street who's suffering, who is crying, and well suffering to put it shortly but nobody helps or very few people help and that is because other people are around however i can almost guarantee you that if it was just one person in the street then you yourself or that one person is a lot more likely to help because there's nobody else about and it's very strange because as a video that i watched one state this is very this actually fascinating for two reasons one as a human society we are brought up to emphasize helping each other so it is in our culture to help others yet we are also taught to stick to social convention and social rules and if one of those social rules are for example let's say i'm not sure if this is a social rule but i have a i have a very sad suspicion that it is uh, you don't help homeless people or homeless people are there by their own fault, which is very wrong, because nine times out of ten they aren't, or what's actually a lot more likely to be true is that there's a lot of fake homeless people there, 
Yeah, so that some people just go there for money, which I know is the minority. But as always, it's because of these minorities that spoil it for every that spoil it for everyone else. So that's something to think about. So because of these social rules, we want to stick to them, and this causes a conflict. And so the bystander effect happens, which is when we just simply walk past and we let people suffer. Suffer. So, and there are a few reasons to that. And I'm a bit disappointed at myself because I'm looking at my notes and I've actually written a definition of the bystander effect compared to the one number I just paraphrased just now. So the definition that I've put on my notes is where a witness to an emergency is less likely to help if there are others around. Basically what I said anyway. Anyway, so I'm going to show you two studies and then because they're similar and because they're done by the same people, we do a joint critical thinking section. And there are many other factors that go into the bystander effect, but the bystander effect and altruism. However, this podcast episode would be about an hour long if I spoke about all that. So I know I I know I say it a lot, but it'd be a lot more helpful for you because I talk about this in a lot more detail. But I would check out my psychology of human relationships book available at connorwhitely.net because. It would be a lot more helpful, helpful, and just a little like last night, same <laughs> salesy bit. Uh, even that, even though I say salesy, but this is me just honestly trying to help you though. Is that if you like the sound of my voice, uh, then I narrate uh, my own audiobooks uh, so you can listen to my voice for a bit, for a bit longer if you want. But, and of course, it's a lot more professional because it's an audiobook, uh, an audiobook. So the first study we're going to look at is Dani and. Latan, 1968. So, psychology students took part in a conversation with other students over an intercon system. And then there were three rounds. So, round one, each participant was to present their problems, like how they were finding university. And then round two was for comments about what the others had said. And round three was for free discussion. In reality, all the other people heard in the intercon system were recordings. The future victim spoke first in the discussion, and he told them that it was hard to adjust to a new city, and he was prone to seizures and distress. In round two, he started to have a seizure and asked to help before he went quiet. Then the subject was timed to see if they went to find help, and after being debriefed, they filled in a series of questionnaires. Moving on to the results, the results showed that a number of bystanders that the number of bystanders does increase the response time. And when it was the victim and the subject, so there was nobody else about, 85% of the participants responded to the emergency, and it took an average of 52 seconds to respond. To be honest, 52 seconds, if somebody was having a seizure, they'd probably be dead anyway. Maybe I'm thinking of a heart attack, but still. still. Whereas only 31% of people responded if it was if it was them, the victim, and four other people, and it would take an average of 166 seconds, so almost three minutes. So I and I would feel honestly sorry for that person if it was real, and if they needed to wait 166 seconds for somebody to respond. So in conclusion, the subjects were in conflict about whether or not to help because they didn't want to overreact and destroy the anonymity of the experiment. But equally, they didn't want the shame of not helping. And this alone goes back to what I was saying earlier about these two social rules. 
social rules because as a society we are bred to help so that explains why the people didn't want the shame of not helping but of course because we're meant to stick to social rules and social convention it does explain why we don't want people to overreact and destroy the anonymity of the experiment because in that situation that was the social norm or that's what you were meant to do so this can be explained by the diffusion of responsibility as there was more people for the responsibility to be psychologically diffused so this i find interesting because it states that responsibility so the need to help you could also look at it is everyone's responsibility and it's a set amount so and then the more people there are the more people there are to help so people are effectively laying back and saying well i'm not helping because there are other people about so that's something interesting and then you have Leighton and Darnley, 1986. They did two experiments in one year, which is a feat. So, well done them. <laughs> so, students were placed into two groups. Uh, no, into three groups, sorry. And they were all asked to fill in a questionnaire. And then after a while, the room began to fill with smoke. One group is where the participant in the room was alone. Two groups was where the participant in the room was, was also with two others. These people were asked to act indifferent and ignore the smoke because these were confederates. And in psychology research, confederates are people who are part of the experiment and they're pra- think of them like um, actors. Actors. Um, and then the last condition was where the participant was in the room with two other participants, so real people. Results showed that when they were alone, 75% of the participants reported the smoke. And I'm a bit concerned why the other 25% didn't report the smoke. Because if smoke's pouring into the room, I like to think that somebody would think, Oh, why is there smoke coming in? Could there be a fire? Or could I die? Or could other people die? Or get hurt? I'm a bit worried for that 25%. When with other, then when it was with the two confederates, only a 10% of the participants were reported the smoke, which makes sense in a minute. And then in condition three, which is where you've got three real people in the room, only 38% reported the smoke. And then in the interviews afterwards, the participants thought the smoke was strange, but wasn't sure if it's dangerous. Which, in all honesty, does make sense because, for example, when you hear a loud noise, doesn't mean it's a dangerous somebody could have just dropped something for example that was probably the world's worst analogy but hopefully you can see from that terrible example that just because something is strange it does mean it's a dangerous dangerous um, and a psychology based one would that be for example the mentally ill some people might sadly see them as strange but most of them or at least some of them are not dangerous in the slightest so something to think about and i mentioned the mentally ill because at the time of recording i've been doing a lot of work on my forensic psychology book and i've just finished writing the mental illness chapter so in conclusion when faced with an ambiguous situation people tend to alarm the reaction of others and influence and, uh, and they are influenced by them this can lead to them interpreting the information and not dangerous and the phenomenon known as pluralistic ignorance which I find very interesting because it was, I think this does not just 
belong to bystanderism because just in general people always rely on the reaction of others and what other people are doing before they act themselves and if though and this can be related to the phrase the blind leading the blind which i just find very interesting because when people don't know what they're doing then they will lead others who see them as sort of leaders or whatever i don't know it's very interesting so that was sort of a whirlwind tour so critical thinking as always i'm a massive fan of this multiple multiple groups so we can see that this is a behavior trend trend and that this does actually have an effect because you can because you can compare the groups so which is very um interesting and this increases the credibility of the study and the reliability because for starters you can easily repeat this study that's and you have more data sets to support your conclusions with the negative one is that i could say this could potentially be seen as unethical because this could cause a lot of psychological distress um on the participant participants if you're worried about that person having a seizure then that could cause you stress and that could leave you concerned for a few days probably about the possibility that somebody died when you could have helped them for example for example and that was where the debrief wasn't carried out but thankfully it was so you can't say this was the worst unethical study this was not compared to others <laughs> um Yes, so ethics would be another one. Both of these are quite good studies, I think, and I do like them. So, being ethics together, bystanderism is when a witness to an emergency is less likely to help if they are surrounded, if there are other people about. Darney and Leitan, 1968, show that bystanderism can occur when the responsibility is psychologically distributed between the more people that are there and then Leitan and and Darnley 1968 shows that that pluralistic, igno pluralistic ignorance so when an ambiguous social situation people tend to rely on the reactions of others can all increase bystanderism so it's very interesting and as always if you want to know more about psychology then please check out my website and my books available at connorwhitely.net so I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please leave a comment on at connorwhitely.net and have a great week everyone. Thank you for listening today. I hope that you found it useful and engaging. Well, if you want to see a show notes, backlist episodes and more information on psychology, on psychological topics, please check out connorwhitely.net and if you want to get a free book as well as other news about writing and psychology then please check out yeah but then please sign up for my newsletter at connorwhitely.net have a great week everyone